It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome to Hard Hats and High Vis. I think we're on to uh, week 11 uh, now uh, with the two Jacks. Uh, Jack the Insider, that's me, and Hong Kong Jack. G'day, Jack. G'day, Jack. And we remind listeners that if you like what you hear, give us a rap on social media or, or indeed give us a five-star review rating on your podcast app. And if anything demands our attention, drop us a line at the email address, theconditionalreleaseprogram at gmail.com. We've received some letters and we're very grateful for them, Jack. Um, big week for the government with a bit of, well, what emerged as an energy crisis uh, when the Australian energy market operator uh, made the unprecedented move to suspend the entire national electricity market because it had become impossible to operate. Put simply, uh, demand had far exceeded supply, and we'll go into the reasons for that in a minute, uh, and the price was skyrocketing. Uh, and the way the national electricity market works is that the more demand there is, the higher the price is, Jack. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's how it was designed. So when we need more electricity, that means people ultimately will be paying more for it uh, when, these, uh, when, 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 there's, uh, when, there's de- when demand ex- is exceeding supply. We haven't had any brownouts yet, but... Uh, uh, government ministers, various uh, around the country, have been warning of it. Uh, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with the way things are set up, Jack? Well, I don't think it was a terribly good idea when they did it. Um, uh, I can't remember, can't remember exactly which year it was. Um, what it allows uh, electric produ- electricity producers to do is to offer it in five-minute gaps. So you offer five minutes of power at a time. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and the, the people bid on that. You know, they have Buffins sitting around bidding on these five-minute gaps of power. What that allows um, the producers of intermittent power to do is to have an advantage over the producers of reliable, dispatchable power, which generally needs to operate 24 hours a day or something like that. Um, and the, the producers of intermittent power get a price advantage over them because they're just op- offering it when they've got it. Right. They're they're not having to say, we can provide you with power. We can provide you with power 24-7. They haven't got to do that. They've just got to produce power in five-minute gaps, and that gives them a price advantage, and it's ruined the market for reliable, dispatchable power. That's been a mistake. Certainly is incomprehensible that uh, 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 a major... uh mining sector and, and uh, you know, solar and wind and all this sort of stuff, all the resources that we've got on in this country have led to these sorts of problems. But specifically last week was related to a large number of generation units being out of action for planned maintenance, planned transmission outages, periods of low wind and solar output, that wind hasn't blown in about three or four days. Uh, periods of low wind and solar output and about 3,000 megawatts of unplanned outages in the coal-fired power sector. And most of Queensland's coal-fired power uh, generators were down last week, three centres anyway. Uh, and this combined with the uh, the early onset, uh, well, the a very cool... Um, um, bracing cold around eastern uh, Australia and uh, a a spike in demand for electricity and gas. So the problem is we've got very old coal-fired plants. That's the thing, and they don't attract investment. And we've been through this a number of times that uh, no one wants to build one in Australia. And that's because of the design of the national energy market operator. well, when I say no one wants to build one, the National Party are very keen, but uh, that would be a sort of uh, sort of a glimpse into National Party socialism, uh, where the state starts running electricity again. 
Well, the old country party were always socialist. <laughs> That's right. This is one They were thing. agrarian socialists from agrarian day one. Agrarian socialists indeed. From day one. But what we should be looking at is saying, what do we actually want out of our electricity system? And I think what we want is reliable, consistent supply of electricity at the best possible price with the lowest carbon emissions. All of those things packaged into one. That's what we actually want. And the current system doesn't do that well. And it's because we've had, well, we call them the climate wars or the energy wars or whatever you want to say, it, it, it basically, uh, while the previous government was in power, they dabbled with energy policy. They never really came to... Uh, to 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 uh, to any form of conclusion over it, it really means that for and and if we take that back to uh, Labor Party being in power with uh, well that was that time when the emissions did drop with the uh, with the uh, well we we'll call it the carbon tax, um, but we've really had almost two decades without a workable energy policy, and what that means is that the big investors have got really no attraction or incitement or enticement to uh, to invest. That's correct. It's, 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 you know, I think the previous government deserves plenty of blame, um, but the blame should keep running right through the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years as well and right through to the, probably the Howard years. They yeah, it goes they, back that far, I think. Yeah, that, they just right. didn't get the design of the system right because they lost sight of what we really wanted. And, 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 and they sort of started, either side started pursuing um, partisan objectives rather than looking at what the system should be producing and working out, working back from there and saying, how can we make the system produce what we want? We're not the only country who's messed this up, by the way. The Germans are in an awful pickle um, <laughs> uh, at the moment. Um, uh, the, the German minister, I think, is a green. Um, uh, was it, you know, through gritted teeth this morning was announcing that they were ramping up their coal-fired power stations um, that they had basically mothballed. And why are they doing that? Because they want to save the gas, the limited amount of gas that Vladimir is sending them. And they want to put all of that in storage for the winter because it does, I'm told, it does get a little cool in winter. Yeah, in right, right. Certainly up north there, uh, yeah. certainly does get a little bit yeah. cool. And, and, you and, see- and, and they're terrified that their voters, um, not just people, but voters, are not going to be able to turn on the gas furnace and and centrally heat their homes in winter. So to avoid that, that, they've gritted their teeth and said, let's get those coal fire stations. And are these a brown coal part? I know. This is is why they should be buying uh, black coal from Australia. Exactly. you know, it's a slower burn, less emissions. If they're going to do it, don't burn, don't burn brown coal, which is very, very ugly stuff. You know, Any, anybody who anybody who grew up having to throw a um, a Latrobe Valley briquette on the fire <laughs> can tell you that it's not the greatest burning material it in the world. And, doesn't uh, burn all and, that well, and, 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 and does a lot, a lot, a lot of us of our age who did have to throw a brown coal briquette on the fire. And they look, it's not a top-quality product. Can I, can I just... I, I, I visited, uh, well, over 30 years ago, but I visited the Dominican Republic uh, as part of a sort of Caribbean tour, and they had a the very strange system. They, were, uh, they had created an electricity grid, but they had no they had basically no, um, no power boxes in... in uh, attached to people's homes. They had no way of billing people. Mm. <laughs> it just created an absolute disaster. And to this day, I believe, I've been there for a long, long time, but to this day, I believe they still have uh, unreliable electricity, electricity. And what happens when that does happen, when you just don't have, you, you can't attract you can't attract even tourist dollars, but you certainly can't attract investment in industry and so forth. When you set, they just set up the grid, the, the grid with apparently no one thinking about how they were going to charge for it. Very strange. Anyway, Chris Bowen, energy minister, says the problem is there is not enough investment in renewable energy. There hasn't been enough investment in storage. Yes, you can say the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. The rain doesn't always fall either, but we can store the water and we can store renewable energy if we have the investments. 
It's a little bit easier to store water than it is to store electricity. I don't think you need to be a scientist to work that out. Yeah, look, it's, it is problematic. One thing, uh, of course, South Australia were, were faced with very serious problems. They had uh, a series of brownouts uh, and blackouts across Adelaide. Oh, I think we're going back. How did they notice? <laughs> it, it always seems like it's half asleep to me, you know. <laughs> That's very cruel. That's very cruel. And I do apologise to Jack's behalf to our Adelaide listeners. Um, and that problem seems, well, not seems to, has been resolved by the big battery. Uh, the big battery in South Australia fitted by Elon Musk, Jack. At yeah. a cost How, of how long does the story last? Well, it depends where it comes from is the short answer to that. Storage lasts from wind and solar around about two days, depending on depending on how efficient these batteries are going to be. And you, you have to understand that battery technology is the new growth in technology. So there's going to be greater storage capacity, smaller uh, in smaller battery, uh, in smaller sort of uh, um, settings, um, uh, and uh, and maybe just maybe uh, electricity will be able to be stored uh, much easier that way. I think uh, uh, pumped hydro is uh, the easiest one. Combined with wind, for example, can be saved for weeks. Uh, can be saved for weeks in battery storage. So we do have the big, the, the Hornsdale Power Reserve. Have you seen a photo of it, Jack? It's just an enormous, well, a series of enormous batteries. And it's kept South Australia, it's all jokes aside about Elon Musk, who is a bit of a joke. Uh, it has kept, um, it has kept South Australia's uh, electricity, certainly there have been no blackouts, and their electricity is actually quite cheap for consumers. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's, but that, what it relies upon is, um, is then that takes a care of a short-term shortfall, if you like, that big battery, and it still relies on them getting power, being able to get power from other states to bump it up to, to, to take care of shortages. Yeah, haven't had a blackout since. Uh, Elon, for for what it's worth, says he just needs a. a, a, a well, let's say a fairly large section of Idaho that's currently not in use, and he can power most of the world, Jack. Mm. Oh, well. So these are the sorts of things that are coming. We'll just go through the sort of storage parameters here and the difficulties that Jack suggested. Storage means renewable energy can be saved when it is overproducing relative to demand. I mean, that's fairly obvious. But, <clears throat> but then you've got, Storage only lasting from wind and solar, lasting in storage for about two days. Pumped hydro can be stored for hours, if not if not days and weeks. And there are three schemes in Australia that have attracted that have attracted investment. That's Talbingo and Shoalhaven in New South Wales, where, where we're going to have some big batteries, and Wivenhoe near Brisbane, near the dam there. So pumped hydro. Combined with combined with wind, uh, all renewable energy, uh, with some uh, with some battery powers around the place. I mean, essentially, this lack of investment, regardless of what what uh, uh, what energy mix you're thinking of, has been driven by policy ineptitude for a decade or more. Yeah, oh, I think the the policy's wrong. Yeah, exactly right. So. But now, surely, once you have consistency, I mean, look, this is this is this is part of the problem. But once you have consistency in policy, that basically will drive investment because we can, because the big major investors are looking at this now, saying there there here is here is a way we can spend some money, uh, invest some money to make a lot. And why that's what's why going aren't we doing the obvious, which is we've got tremendous reserves of. Um, of coal, of uranium or whatever, why aren't we building a base level of dispatchable power and adding renewables to that? That's the, that's the old model. And basically, the big investors won't go with coal. They just don't believe that it's going to work out in, in the long run. The price the big, of coal The, the, the big investors in China and India are piling into, into coal. Well, because it's obviously because it's cheap and easy, but it's, the, the point is about it being cheap is that it's actually not now. 
I mean, when we look at coal, the price of coal is actually driving these huge increases right now. Coal is coal, the price of coal is at an all-time high. Um, thermal coal uh, is at an all-time high. So, you, at the end of the day, this is this is the stranded asset that the Australian media keeps talking about. Well, at the end of the day, Jack, you, 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 you've got a simple principle of uh, if you go with coal or gas nuclear or whatever you want, but in the end of the day, you've still got someone shoveling something in to, to fire up a generator. With renewables, you don't have anyone shoveling anything in. That's that's the cost-benefit there, ultimately. That's the cost-benefit of renewables. There's no one shoveling coal into a, into a furnace. Mm. You've still got to build the stuff. You've still got to build the extra transmission grids. It's just—it's actually not very greenhouse gas friendly um, uh, renewable energy. People say it is, and people have been—you know—the the Australian media have been saying this for years, and have been convincing uh, the banks, etc., that coal is a stranded asset. It's a stranded asset that's at absolutely record prices. That's how stranded it is. We should have been opening more coal mines and selling more of it on the world market. Well, we, you know, we still are. I mean, the, the, the problem is that uh, you know the people are making the money out of our coal. Uh, 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 are Australia's billionaires, Jack? Uh, we don't actually receive too much, and the states, the states receive some royalties, and that's about it. That's the problem. Australia's always had that it just basically allows its resources to be plundered for the massive profits of individuals. And to provide power for poor yellow and brown people around the world. Yeah, I don't doubt that. But if you're going to do if you're going to do this, then why wouldn't you have what the Norwegians, for example, did with their gas supplies, which are you know similarly greenhouse intensive, but they basically set up a, a, a sovereign fund for their country that basically allows people to be superannuated, um, opens up free education, all these sorts of things. We just basically help billionaires load it onto a jumbo and send it overseas. But I don't think you can put it on a jumbo, mate. Um, <laughs> well, I know that, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, yeah, you don't, you don't air freight coal. No, 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 no. Scott, Scott Morrison might travel around the other, or might have travelled around the RAAF burner with some in his bag. But no, you don't air freight coal. It's yeah. real. It's a bit expensive. That's a different question. Whether we, whether whether we it should is. have, whether we should have some kind of um, uh, super tax on, on on mining results. I don't think we. I don't think our tax system is fit for purpose really as it deals with the mining thing it's too easy to uh, with export industries generally it's too easy to price them in singapore and pay the lower rate of tax in singapore rather than pay the australian rate of tax that needs fixing that's a different oh, question that's, as to how that's we should, absolutely that's nuts a, that's, that's literally that's, giving away our resources it is that's no. that's a that's a Nothing. different that's the a different question that's a different question as to how we should design our internal uh, power supply system. Yeah, beggars belief why we have... Well, look, we did try this sort of super tax model uh, and, uh, and the mining companies came out so hard uh, and, uh, and and basically, uh, well, you could say Kevin Rudd got rolled over it. I don't know about that. But certainly it, it, uh, it was... Uh, an exercise that the mining companies have been doing for a very, very long time in this country, saying we want what's in the ground and we prepare and, we, and we'll pay you a pittance in royalties to state governments, but we're not paying anything to the feds and we're not paying anything to some sort of future or sovereign fund going forward. Mm. And and that, you know, that that's that you would have to be in in uh, yes minister terms the most courageous politician around to be thinking of doing that and and since that sort of 2010 uh, brouhaha over the super profits mining tax uh, no politician will go near it but when we look at other countries and how they've handled this sort of thing and, and norwegia no, 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 the norwegians knowing that get, that this gas was a finite resource that it would run out uh, basically planned for that future. You know, it's 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 a disappointing thing that this country just won't do it, that we're at the behest of mining companies who, if I might go on, don't add terribly much to national wealth in any in any circumstances. When prices for uh, resources are high, yeah, they're big employers, but as soon as prices drop, 
in, in, you know, according to whatever they're pulling out of the ground, they just let people go. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen in that doesn't happen in uh, in the in, in in let's say the construction sector. It doesn't happen to the same degree in <clears throat> in the retail sector. The major drivers of the economy in Australia, when the mine when 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 the the price of gold <clears throat> drops, for for example. To a point where the mine no longer finds it viable, everyone's gone, and they just close the gate. The, um, so. Certainly, the uh, the big miners in Australia uh, have been very adept at, at employing the best political operator operators as their government relations advisors. You know, BHP, Rio, and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. and, and that campaign to kill off the uh, resource rent tax was a. A textbook example uh, of, of government relations advising, and they, they did a great job, and they killed it in a couple of weeks. They did, they did. I still remember the ads and and Gina Reinhardt's poetry, Jack. That's, mm. That was unforgettable. I actually don't think Gina Reinhardt's poetry had anything to do with it at all. But uh, no, but well, there, it, it is. It is one of those great. Uh, it's worth a read. It's worth a read. You got a bit of a dinner party. Pass a bit of Gina Reinhardt's poetry around for everyone to read. It's a good bit of fun for the day. She's not a poet, Jack. She might be a lot of things, but she's not. That, that, that would be that would be as the port's being passed around. I would think you need to have a, have <laughs> yeah, a few yeah, drinks yeah, first. Yeah. yeah, very good at a dinner party. Either that or John Laws. John Laws did some wonderful stuff too, yeah. uh, and remains our most successful poet in terms of books sold. Jack, there you go. A bit of trivia for you, John Laws, our favourite poet. Now. Um, Labor has a policy, well, it's not so much a policy as, um, uh, as, as as something that they have sort of said that will happen, that the price of electricity will be slashed by two, to, to, to households uh, by $275 on average in their electricity bills. Surely that can't happen now. Uh, no, it's not going to happen, and nor should they worry about it. Uh, look, Albanese, uh, the Prime Minister, I should say, Anthony Albanese, uh, refused to commit to the key election pledge. I think it's more of an aspiration than a pledge. It's not something that you can create in black letter policy, but it's more of an aspiration. But uh, More Anthony, of a guideline than anything else. I yeah, think. 275, give or take, you know. Yeah. Might, might give, be or take two, give or take 275, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could, be, could be a fair bit of you having to give it uh, rather than take it. But uh, one I thought was odd, was odd that, uh, is that uh, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, refused to commit to that pledge. Uh, while senior minister Tony Burke insists they're still on they're still on track. Oh, look, there's always the a bit of a la- always a bit of a lag. Chime in internal communications in there politics, was, isn't there? Yeah. There was there was Tony Burke speaking first, and then uh, Anthony Albanese speaking second. Mm. Um, who, can, who can forget um, uh, uh, Bill Shorten being caught short when uh, Julia Gillard was prime minister, and and the only answer he get could give was. Well, I agree with whatever it is that she said. Yeah, but that's that's, that's <laughs> the he, position, though. He, he that's the had, position. He hadn't had time whatever to catch up said, on exactly what she said. Uh, that's it. Whatever my leader said, I agree with. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and I guess that's the other. The other answer is don't go on television when you're fresh off a flight mm. and you don't know what's going on. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you will look like a mug. Now, the opposition, Jack... Uh, <laughs> They seem, seem to have forgotten that they were in government. Oh, just really, uh, less than two months ago. Uh, this it's is like pre- they this were is, never there. This is pretty standard operating uh, operation on a change of government. The first thing the government does is to get in and start opening the drawers and say, oh, look how terrible the, 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 the stuff they've left behind for us. They, they didn't dust or do anything, you know. Um, uh, it's just much worse than we were expected. And at the same time, the opposition say, "Well, it was perfect when we left, and, 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 and I can't even I can't even recall us being in government." This this is Karen Andrews when uh, asked about uh, the energy problems uh, the East Coast was experiencing last week. She said, "The Labor government has had nine years in opposition to prepare for the day it would be in government, so there's no excuse." I rather liked that. I thought it was, a, it, was a, it was a pretty pretty bold argument, you know. And, <laughs> and and to be able to say that with a straight face that that takes some skill. Yeah, it does take a fair bit. Uh, 
Uh, Peter Dutton had to uh, answer some uh, questions in long, longer form. He was on the Insiders yesterday, and he said, do you not think, you know, this is a, an expression of confidence in the former energy minister, Angus Taylor, do you not think the companies were trying to game it? Because this is what was suggested that the uh, electrical uh, providers uh, were trying to game the system and ramp it up, when really what you're saying, Jack, and is true, is that the system itself jacks up the prices. Well, the um, system, system allows the gaming, it encourages the gaming. Encourages the gaming, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we and we did have, and why would we have all these scheduled maintenances in one week? That's the other thing. You know, when winter has arrived and bitterly cold in eastern Australia, mm. um, uh, why would all these plants, coal-fired power plants and other, and other, uh, uh, power, uh, another power company shut down for, for maintenance in that in that week? That seems staggering to me. What, what's going on there? Well, I'm actually not sure. I mean, if you're at Queensland Power Station, perhaps you're thinking it's better to be closed in winter when the weather's mild rather than be closed in summer when the air conditioning's meant to be running. I don't know. Yeah, there's got to be a, it's got to be a, got to be a middle, got to be a middle term. It's very difficult, of course. I mean, it gets blazingly hot in New South Wales in October or has been, wasn't last year. Um, there, mu- there must be a sort of medium that they can go to. So, so maybe that was what Dutton was suggesting that that uh, this closure for maintenance uh, was part of a devilish plan by providers to jack up the price of electricity. And he said, do you not think the companies were trying to game it when Angus Taylor was the minister in this space? And you can just see the electricity providers go, oh, Angus Taylor, oh, we don't want to remember him. He was horrible. Of course they were, said Dutton, but he was able to do it and keep the lights on. The sense of panic from Chris Bowman that is out there at the moment was there when the coalition was in government. I wasn't there, sorry, when the coalition was in government. I think he is a bunny in the headlights. Uh, Mr Dutton said the coalition was agnostic over technology and energy sources. Uh, he said, this argument that you can just pump more renewables into the grid, that's fine. I'm not opposed to that. But what we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks, not the last couple of years, you might note there, Jack, just weeks, mm. is the fact that this is a problem at night time. It's not a problem occurring during the daytime. Do you reckon well, when he was well, a copper, mate, he would, he would have had a torch, wouldn't he? Probably, but... Um, uh, and, what, and, what, and what would be in the torch to make it go? Yeah, I don't think torches last all that long. You can't read all night with a torch, mate. <laughs> I just don't think anyone's explained batteries to Peter Dutton. But anyway, he's to, he, he, get, he then got caught on... Um, Targets. Well, to the people who are saying that, about, people who are saying that he doesn't understand batteries. My suggestion is: Will you use batteries to heat your house overnight, and you use batteries to run your air conditioner overnight during summer, and see how you go? Well, a lot of people do, Jack. I mean, do and, and and they're being dudded, To be fair, I mean, when you get enough <coughs> photovoltaic um, cells on your on your on your rooftop, and you've got uh, an Elon Musk battery storage thing out, out in the side wall there, you are able to create enough power to sell it back to the grid. And and they're being dudded, those, the people who do that. We see, you know, and Australia does have the highest per capita or per household uh, take-up of, uh, of uh, photovoltaic, a solar on the roof. Um, <clears throat> um, but the problem is when, they, when a lot of these people invested in that, and it's you know, particularly expensive, I think it's sort of the best part of 25 grand to, to put the whole house up, uh, create its own power, uh, and then sell back to the grid. And at the time, people were told, "Oh no, we'll, we'll buy it back at uh, we'll buy it back at a, at a, at, a, at a reasonable price." But then they just basically cut the price down, so the people are getting nothing for for, for actually throwing throwing power into the grid. Mm, caveat: it's very strange. Let, let the buyer beware. Well, yeah, it's very strange. I mean, look, what we're seeing too, just just by the way, while we talk about these things, major corporates. Thing, if you if you ever look at any sky, well, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne, if you have a look at the skylights there, you will see photovoltaic cells basically powering those buildings in many cases. And you're getting to those big corporate ideas because the fear is that one day, you, you know, governments like this one or the previous one will get energy policy so wrong that uh, they don't. Big company like Google 
uh, or a big company like uh, Microsoft won't be able to power, you know, won't have power access to uh, to power. So they're cr- basically creating these HQs around the world where they will have, where they create their own power. Hmm. That's, a, that's an old idea, that idea that's become a new again. Well, it, 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 it makes them independent. That's the thing that appeals to the big corporations, that, 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 that it makes them independent in, in the same way that someone says, even if they throw a couple of uh, photovoltaics on the, on the roof, they'll at least pay for their hot water service. Um, but going broader than that, they were told at the time when they bought in, well, you'll be able to sell electricity back to the grid, and they can, but they're selling it nowhere near the retail price. So they've been dotted. Um, but at the same time, they don't have to worry too much about brownouts or blackouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, Dutton goes on to talk about how he thinks uh, uh, the coalition figure on uh, targeted reductions uh, will be much uh, will be much the same as Labor's. Labor has uh, put a 43% target by 2030 on, on emissions reductions. Uh, uh, based on 2008, and, um, and and he believes it'll be... We haven't put a figure on it, but I su- would suspect we will end up with something like 35%, uh, close enough to uh, Labor's 43. How do they get any sort of energy policy through the Nats, Jack? How are they going to do love, that? I just love that the target's 43, not 42 or 44. It's, it's very odd, but... Um, uh, there's, there's probably some mathematical reason for that that I don't understand, but how is how is the coalition going to get any energy policy through? I mean, they, they got net zero through eventually after basically the the cart the, the National Party cart pulling the coalition horse around for about two weeks in an unseemly kind of way uh, before they went oh yeah and uh, and we negotiated. Oh, according to Barnaby Joyce, about $20 billion worth of benefits for regional Australia. Uh, I don't know whether that's uh, all of regional Australians or just a few of them. Um, but, um, yeah, how, how is the Liberal Party going to go forward on energy policy at all? Well, they haven't with got the to. Nats there? They've got at least three years before, they can, before they've got to produce a policy at all. Mm, okay. Probably, yeah. probably six probably six before they've got to produce a policy, so they can ignore it. Well, they're going pretty well, just in fact of just this blind, uh, willfully blind recognition of the fact that they were in power for the last ten, last nine years anyway. Oh, gee whiz, you would believe it. Oh, God, it was going beautifully when we left the Keys, uh, when we let the, left the Keys at Yarralumla for you. I don't understand what's going wrong. Yeah, exactly right. That's all they've got to do. And they, haven't, they haven't got to put a figure on it for years to come. And for listeners of other of, of our previous offerings, uh, you would remember that Jack and I had a pretty heated discussion about nuclear. Now, my argument was that uh, the idea of building a Fukushima, oh, indeed, a charitable somewhere in Australia, was uh, going to be uh, was going to cause all sorts of problems. I maintain that's the case, but uh, perhaps one thing that I didn't recognise at the time is that. Um, Nuclear power can now be sourced away from these gigantic um, <coughs> power sources, these gigantic edifices, into smaller, uh, smaller sort of outfits that could be, I guess, plugged along the eastern seaboard. God only knows where. Um, but um, is nuclear jack? I mean, obviously, you're going to say yes. Why would it be part of our mix when we look at some of the figures on the cost of it? If people were really serious about the climate crisis, if they really believed that we needed to reduce our carbon emissions to save the planet, or even just to prevent bushfires or floods, then they would be happy to bear the cost money-wise and the cost inconvenience-wise to make nuclear power part of our solution. If they were really serious about it, I think the fact that they're not tells me that they're not really serious about the climate crisis. If this was a real, real crisis, if this was the great crisis of our time, you'd shove one of these things on North Head in Sydney Harbour because that would be a price worth paying to save the planet. But it's not about saving the planet. It's just about a little bit of virtue signalling. 
Well, it, there are major issues about, and we saw that with Fukushima, didn't we? I mean, you know, you get gets hit by a tsunami, there's a big problem. And, and basically there's, uh, you know, uh, many thousands of square kilometres around Fukushima that can't be touched. It was all farmland that can't be touched now for mm. at least 50,000 years, Jack. Uh, mm. and, and that's the big problem. That's the big scary thing about nuclear. Um, but... Uh, in an RMIT, I think, it's, I think it's unfair to use Chernobyl as an example, for instance, because that was a nuclear power station designed by the Soviets, uh, the people who gave us the larder. You know, the only the only the only consumer good from the Soviet era that's been a success worldwide is the Kalashnikov, the AK forty seven. Everything else that you'd buy coming out of Russia predates the Soviet era. If you're talking about their, their vodka or their caviar, that all goes back before the Soviet era. The only thing that they built and sold worldwide as a consumer good that was a success during the Soviet Union is the AK-47. <laughs> and possibly concrete. Um, they're very, very good at concrete. Oh, no, the Italians are better. Just go to Melbourne. Have a look. Oh, the Italians yeah. are definitely better, but, uh, <laughs> gee, they were coming up against it. It does remind me of uh, Monty Burns. He was handing out a prize to Homer. Um, it was the episode where Homer decided to, to uh, put on some weight and therefore he wouldn't be required to turn up in the workplace uh, and ended up causing and then solving a potential uh, nuclear leak from the power plant that he works at. And uh, Monty Burns gave him the award for turning a potential Chernobyl in, into a regular three-mile island. Yeah, um, I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, well, but we do... Uh, this is a... This I mean, is a coal, coal, production of coal-fired power and, um, uh, and renewable power kills a lot more people every year than the production of nuclear power. Well, it probably does, and and, and in terms of waste, the waste are, and, and, and the waste are, mo are modest. I mean, when we when we're talking about, we're not talking about Three Mile Islands or, or Chernobyls or, or, or Fukushima's. We are we are talking about nuclear small modular reactors now um, as as a potential uh, solution for um, uh, or, or a potential contributor to the mix of energy, perhaps in Australia, perhaps in other parts. And, um, and, and Jack, you've mentioned that the French do very, very well out of nuclear and don't have those sorts of problems that the rest of Europe has. Seventy percent uh, of their power comes from nuclear. Yeah, um, and their and their brands sh shiny new, and and uh, and they've put some investment into them. Part of the problem, I would think. So the Americans haven't built one since well, well certainly since Three Mile Island, but I don't think they've commissioned a new nuclear plant since the mid seventies. So you're going back a long way there, and they're, but they're being retrofitted. This is the other thing: uh, the the nuclear power plants in the United States are being retrofitted because they're getting up to that point now where they would would it was always projected that they would be decommissioned, but they're still working, and so they're now being retrofitted rather than rather than making new ones. They're they're retrofitting uh, the existing ones and giving them, and they're saying, "Well, when will they be decommissioned?" I said, "Well, it doesn't." We're not really sure. It could be, you know, it could be fifty years, could be a hundred years, um, because uh, no one, when nuclear power was first built, was nuclear power was first created, was quite sure how long a nuclear power plant would last. And it turns out they can last for technically centuries with a bit of fiddling. But at the same time, uh, I've got a graphic here from the. Um, uh, this is from RMIT Fact Check, actually, and it is uh, takes into account the financing costs of new coal-fired plants, renewables plus storage, battery or pumped hydro, uh, and, and uh, says that they produce ch cheaper power than coal and nuclear. And nuclear, uh, with the cost of construction included, um, comes in at $340 per megawatt hour, with uh, wind with six hours pumped hydro is around about 120, Jack. That's all very well. Um, the difference is once you've built a nuclear power station, as you say, no one really knows how they're like and a long way will last for. But oh, well, very it, as I said, it's, it's it turns very, out very more than time. the 50 years that was planned. Yeah. 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 Um, when you build wind farms and solar panel, solar farms, if you like, 
um, they have a quite limited lifespan and disposing of the waste from them uh, is very expensive and um, an environmentally a disaster. Why would wind turbines need to be... Uh, I mean, surely you get 50 years out of those. No, you don't. don't With a bit of maintenance, you've got to employ people. No, they're pulling them down in parts of the United States where they've just run out of, um, you know, they, they no longer work, they're no longer fit for purpose. And solar, though, I mean, you tell me where solar's collapsed. I mean, I, I can't imagine you would just basically maintain and expand, you know, wouldn't you? They don't last forever either. Yeah, well, nuclear, as I said before, that is one of the things that we are finding now, certainly in the US market, that those plants that were deemed uh, uh, to be commissioned for at least 50 years are now finding, with a bit of tinkering, they can go well into the 22nd century. Okay. Um, and, and I'll start believing in battery storage when battery storage starts to, to, to produce um, a, a reliable outcome that lasts for longer than a couple of days. Oh, pumped hydro, this is the thing, you know, that pumped hydro can give you... Australia hasn't got enough mountains to make pumped hydro an, a, a, an Australia-wide uh, storage solution. With Tasmania online, and that's the other thing that's got to happen, and again, you know, when we get to the previous government, uh, what, the, what they called it Snowy 2.0, it's, it's a long way off where they said it was going to be. Mm. Uh, and and the Tasmanian and bringing the Tasmanian thing online has happened, but only in a sort of practical way, uh, only in a uh, in a in a in a limited way, I should say. Um, so they've been spending a lot of time talking a lot of bullshit for for the last ten years, as far as I'm concerned. But why are we talking about nuclear as a contributor to the energy mix in Australia? It, you know, there's there's no background to it. We've got we've got uh, we've got basically a, a nuclear uh, facility uh, in uh, in Western Sydney, South Western Sydney, but that's basically uh, created for nuclear medicine and uh, <coughs> and the like. Um, why are we talking about nuclear? I mean, I, I don't get it. Is it a conservative trope? Is it something that they like to talk about late at night on Sky News? Why are we talking about it? Well, I've never seen Sky News, so I couldn't give you the answer to that. Um, well, but, you, but, you, you haven't missed anything, Jack. But I, but I can tell you that if people are really serious about reducing carbon emissions, nuclear should be part of the should be part of the solution. Yeah, well, I'm not so convinced. I mean, it's, it's it's zero zero carbon emissions. Zero carbon emissions. There's no doubt about that. And mm -hmm. very small amounts of uh, waste. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but on this on this little. Uh, uh, this little image here, I am looking at nuclear small modular reactors, cost of construction plus coming online. There is also a long lead time in terms of construction, although I couldn't, for a, a Fukushima, for example, would take eight years. Uh, about a nuclear small modular reactor, I don't know what the sort of lead time in there, but the cost of construction thrown in there means it's woo, almost three times the price of wind with six hours pumped hydro. But it runs right. 24, you can run it for 24-7 um, and it's absolutely reliable. Not so much enjoyable. But that's, as we explained, <laughs> well, that's in Ukraine now and I believe, I believe the Russians have been bombing it um, just to uh, just to add to the state of horror there. Um, I did read a, an op-ed, a very strange op-ed piece from a, from a fellow in the eyes who claims to... Uh, uh, have some sort of connection to the Labor Party, I don't know how close it is, um, uh, saying that Albanese should be spending more time at home, Jack. What do you think of that? Uh, <laughs> you know, you I, just I was, only became Prime Minister a couple, couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was just thinking of your pal, Jim, Jim Jeffrey, uh, uh, James Jeffries, who, yeah, James. James who's uh, now his speechwriter. I'm sure he'll be enjoying all the trips. Well, there've only been two. There was uh, there was the quad meeting in Japan, and then there was the meeting in in Jakarta. Any time a prime minister of Australia goes to Jakarta, I'm going to be cheering it on because that that relationship needs to be far more profitable for both countries than it currently is. But yes, there was this view. There was this uh, view unless that, the unless the prime minister starts spending as much time in Jakarta as uh, that uh, Liberal MP George Christensen spent in Manila. Um, then, uh, then I'm okay with it. 
Yeah, I'm just you know we just haven't seen that thawing of relations with the Philippines after George was there, um, you know. So I just don't know that what he was doing was entirely in the national interest. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, there, there was this piece, uh, and it really did amuse me because it was saying, look, Albanese has big issues to deal with at home. There was more sort of querulous stuff from from other journalists, uh, press pack or, 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 or the press gallery. Uh, a little bit miffed that, that Elbow wouldn't answer questions on domestic policy while he was away. He did this in Jakarta. Uh, and uh, he said, I'm not talking about those things. And, and when asked why, he said, well, it sounds a bit provincial, doesn't it? And, um, uh, you know, I'll be talking about, uh, I'll be talking about things that are occurring in Australia while I'm in, while I'm in Indonesia. It was something that Bob Hawke did, Jack, when he first, uh, commenced his travels overseas as PM. It's a pretty good move, isn't it? I think it's not bad politics. I think, I think it actually originates in the United States. They have had this tradition for a long time, um, but it's one of those traditions that gets dropped occasionally when the politics works the other way. Yeah. So the broader question is, while you had, you know, there were a, there were a couple of... Simon Benson wrote a piece saying he was pretty upset about it all. What happens when the media pack gets pissed off? Uh, do they turn on you? Are they ugly? Are they bad? That can happen. That just means you've got to manage them a bit better. Yeah, look, I but, do but remember. Politicians shouldn't go running from the media and they shouldn't be worried about what the, the left mm. particularly, because Twitter's basically a left place. They shouldn't be worried about what people say on Twitter and they shouldn't be too worried about what the media say. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. There, it, it isn't a bad thing. It isn't a bad policy to have that when you're travelling overseas. I mean, the, the size of the gallery, <laughs> Jack, the size of the, the of the Australian press gallery at Jakarta, there were probably 30 or 40 people there. And, um, and you just think, well, look, you know, I mean, I know we've been closed for a little while and people haven't been able to travel overseas, but the word junket did come to mind. Um, well, I think the the, 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 the the media have always enjoyed jumping on the burner and going for a bit of a, um, a, bit of a hard-working uh, uh, trip with the Prime Minister. <laughs> Reminds me of the story of Malcolm Fraser, Jack. You remember that? We just introduced by... Um, There'd been uh, there'd been a um, a plebiscite, and Australia had chosen uh, uh, the, the the national anthem that it has that it has now, uh, a, a bit of a dirge in my opinion, uh, and it was Malcolm Fraser's first tour uh, overseas, and he went to Beijing first. And uh, the Chinese, they did the old banquet diplomacy, you know, 35-course meal and all that sort of stuff. And, About a and, gallon of Mao Tai and, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Chinese national anthem was played midway through the 35-course banquet. And then, to their great embarrassment, they realised that they didn't have uh, a copy of Advance Australia Fair available. And um, which I might of, add, in those days, no one knew the word. No, well, that was it. You know, so there was a bit of a scrambling, but no answers. And uh, a number of journalists, including Mike Bow's dad, Peter, said, "Don't worry about it. We'll sing it for you. We'll we'll pop up on stage and we'll sing it for you." Yes. And, uh, and, the, and uh, uh, Bow's and the two others, I'm just trying to think of, they were there. They got up and they sang the first three verses of "I like I love aeroplane jelly." They did indeed. Um, uh, it is alleged that jelly. they were in drink at the time. <laughs> they were yeah. they were considerably in drink at the time. The yeah. Chinese saw a terrific national anthem, by the way, yeah. and they uh, were, were visibly pleased while Fraser's, Fraser and his uh, envoys and, and hangers-on were f- absolutely furious and Bowers got pulled up afterwards. Peter Bowers, that is, and told, you have a pull, it's not like that again. You'll be on the first plane home. Uh, yeah. but, the thing uh, about yeah. Malcolm Fraser was he always looked like he wasn't best pleased. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm told he was uh, even more down that track. Uh, it would have been hard to tell, wouldn't it? Uh, it, would, it would have been a joy to be there to watch that. I oh, it would have been a super, It was a superb moment in Australian-Chinese relations. Yeah, so uh, uh, Elbow has two more trips to come in the next month, and maybe this is why that 
rather odd column was written. Uh, he's uh, going to a NATO security summit in Madrid. They're not members of NATO, but I guess in these difficult times, uh, um, uh, that might be on the board. And, 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 and that NATO security summit may well include a meeting with Emmanuel Macron, which probably won't include revealed text exchanges between uh, at, at the very highest level of French-Australian relations. Uh, and, well, uh, he, and he can console President Macron, um, who's had a disappointing uh, electoral result uh, yes, yesterday. Yes, today, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he will have to uh, govern in coalition now, Jack, uh, the, that particularly... Well, with particular... some kind of arrangement with, with the opposition parties, yes. Yeah, and that, that, that will come from the sort of coalition of left-wing parties. Mm. He's a centre-right man himself, although he's a former member of, uh, of the Socialist Party in, uh, in, uh, in France uh, years ago before he uh, created his reform group. As in most matters, Jack, the, the French are generally flexible. Very flexible, very flexible indeed. So, yeah, Alba will be off to NATO. Uh, I actually have no problems with any of this. These things are done in whirlwinds. The trip in uh, the trip to Jakarta, for example, and the quad the quad dialogue meeting in Japan, they were all over in two days, you know, and then, and then, then you're back home. Um, it, it's important that Australian leadership, um, uh, political leadership, uh, be getting into these things. Uh, perhaps uh, it was something that Scott Morrison wasn't all that comfortable with. I don't know if you've ever seen the G20 meeting, Jack, where Scotty was off to one side when everyone was doing the photo and he was uh, playing with his phone. Mm. Uh, Kevin uh, Rudd was a bit like that too. He always looked like he was desperately trying to get someone to talk to him, and no one wanted to. Oh yeah, there were those, there were those great moments. I, I, the Howard at uh, at the APEC meeting uh, in Sydney, uh, and at the very tail end of his prime ministership, all the leaders came through. George uh, George W. Um, uh, um, trying to think of the Chinese uh, president's name, who's in Tao, um, Putin it would have been. They all came in, but they realised it was it was political death. So, so no one wanted to be photographed next to him. So they all just sort of sidled, they sort of waved and then sidled off and then Howard was just left standing there on his own and it was like, yeah, you, even you know you're gone now. Um, mm. uh, all right. Uh, he did, uh, that is Anthony Albanese, yeah, current Prime Minister, did have uh, an interview with uh, Anthony Albanese uh, where he talked about his um, uh, the, the sort of the, the major pieces of business that will be introduced uh, in the new when the new parliament sits in, in the last week of July, a month away. Uh, and they include ambitious climate change targets, 10 days domestic and family violence leave and the creation of Jobs and Skills Australia. Uh, and Anthony Albanese also confirmed the legislation to establish a federal integrity commission will be introduced after the government's first budget, but before the end of the year. Um, uh, what do you think about those three? The Jobs and Skills Australia sounds nice. It, it, it's a really important. It's a really important piece of government investment, and and must they must get it right um, uh, in order to skill up the workforce um, and uh, and continue to do that uh, for a changing job market. Well, uh, I think we should be doing more to encourage people to go into um, trade schools rather than universities? Well, it got gutted. It got gutted by successive yeah. governments. Yeah. Um, and, and there are some old salts around who still uh, bemoan the days where the, uh, the tech schools all got rubbed out um, and, uh, uh, and merged into secondary colleges with, with, other, with, with other schools. Um, uh, <clears throat> There are only so many jobs for fine arts graduates and gender studies graduates. You know, we need a few more plumbers and electricians. And um, well, part of the reason, I mean, again, the the old the outgoing government or the, the well and truly gone government, Morrison government, were babbling about just last week. Well, gee, look at these unemployment figures; they're terrific, aren't they? You know, I think it was at four point one 
don't do an Albanese on me and demand an actual figure. But very low in unemployment figures. And really, when you're at that scale, you're virtually in full full employment. You're in, when yeah. when you've got a, a a four with with uh, with a point and some other numbers after it, you're virtually a full employment level. And the problem the problem is that there's that there that the employers don't have people to choose from. Uh, in in across a range of skills, a lot of that has been driven by COVID and the fact that our borders have been closed for a long, long time. That's starting to change. Uh, also, in those sort of short term um, uh, fixed period, you know, we used to have people come into the country uh, to uh, uh, to work in abattoirs because. Um, particularly Brazilian workers coming into the country to work in abattoirs because Australians don't want to do those jobs, mate. Um, uh, and also, you know, picking fruit and, and picking vegetables uh, off uh, off the floors of farms. Um, um, uh, so that, those aren't skill areas, but these are these are particular areas where there is just uh, there are uh, more <coughs> uh, more jobs than there are workers. Well, successive governments fell for what I think is a myth is that everyone's got to go to university. I think university is terrific for a lot of the population, but I don't think it should be something that everybody needs to do. (coughs) I'd agree that what we need to... One of the major areas where we do have a... um, uh, where we do have a shortfall in available workers is IT. And, uh, and and yes, a lot of that can be taught in universities. Yes, a lot of it can be done in tech uh, in in tech training centres. Um, it's it's really just about getting those skills. We're not talking about a new level of tradies, although there is that. Um, uh, we're, we're talking about providing guilt, uh, providing skilled workers into employment where they're most needed, because we don't we don't have a we don't have a, a job shortage or a worker shortage. We've got a skill shortage in this country. Hmm. And once we, once the borders are properly opened, um, uh, the immigration program will take care of a good deal of yeah, it will. Shortages. It will. It will. Uh, ambitious climate change targets: ten days domestic and family violence leave. Uh, I think those are pretty much set in a lot of award rates anyway. But I guess that will be across the board. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the Federal Integrity Commission is set up. But I presume there's going to be a fair I should, amount of I should think you and I will be discussing that in the future. Yeah. We don't see quite eye to eye on that. Oh, more powerful people in perp walks, Jack. It's alliterative, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful, it sells newspapers, and it's something that we need um, because everyone likes to see politicians in strife. I did. Uh, I did uh, last week uh, uh, do a bit of a show uh, as part of the Vivid Festival with uh, a number of journalists, and one of them cut the climate. And uh, and of course, without the ICAC, Jack, uh, who knows where Eddie Obed'd be? Uh, he may not be. May not be at the Obed wing of Silver, HM Silverwater. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think for every. Uh, poor instance of an ICAC in New South Wales. There've been some pretty good ones. I think that's one of those things. I don't think ICAC was responsible for getting, getting Eddie Obed where he was. I'm not sure it was it was necessary, but there you go. Oh, it would have been tough just to just to whack him, just the criminal trial. Just go to straight to straight to a criminal trial. He's had a couple. And I, I, old Ian McDonald, you remember him, Jack? He did the uh, he had that that beautiful face. That he walks do do during the perp walk. He's uh, he's currently at doing uh, serving some time at Her Majesty's pleasure at the moment. A former minister in the Car and uh, Yemen governments, and um, yes, uh, he had that fixed rictus when he'd walk through the media lineup, uh, like he was enjoying himself. But you could tell he really wasn't. All right. Well, that's just brought us to an end of another show. Thank you for your time today, Jack. No problems, Jack. And uh, we remind listeners, uh, look, if you if you like what you've heard, we're 
going to do a little bit of retooling on the program uh, and we'll be sort of moving away from the Australian federal politics. I mean, we'll still be doing a fair bit of it, but we are going to sort of look at some more social, cultural and sporting things, Jack, which basically just made sport, doesn't it? Social and cultural uh, well, stuff is your sport. It's all the same thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah no, we'll be, be, be sort of looking, moving away perhaps from the, uh, the post-election phase. Uh, but in the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard, uh, uh, as I said uh, at the front of the program, uh, drop us a line at the conditional release program at gmail.com, uh, flip us a uh, five-star review on the podcast app, or indeed uh, give us a wrap on social media, give us a little push along, we'd enjoy that. Good on you, Jack. Great to see you, and I'll see you next week with hard hats and high vis. Cheers, mate.